Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional film. For the dozen in attendance, and for the handful listening around the world, it's time for Remake Rumble! Hey folks, and welcome to the very first episode of Remake Rumble, the podcast that pits a classic film against its remake. Two films enter, one film leaves. My name is Johnny Lee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts and sworn enemies, Daniel, Beast from the North East Gilmore. Hello, Daniel. Hello. And David, House of Mouse Ratigan. Hello, David. Hello. Well, folks, for our inaugural episode, we will be discussing an animated classic and possibly the greatest remake of all time. I am, of course, talking about The Lion King, 1994, directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff, and The Lion King 2019, directed by John Favreau. Both brought to us by purveyor of childhood dreams and soon-to-be owner of all, Walt Disney Company. Spoilers ahead, but if you haven't seen Lion King by this point, I guess you've been living under a rock. A pride rock, if you will. So, let's get this fight started. Let's enter the Remake Rumble Ring. Thank you very much, Johnny. Well, what a fabulous fight we've got for you today, ladies and gentlemen. Widely regarded as the crowning achievement of Disney Animation's 1990s renaissance, The Lion King tells the story of a young lion, son of the king, who, after mistakenly believing he's killed his old man and running away from home, must learn to fulfill his noble destiny and return to the pride. Winner of two Academy Awards, Best Original Score and Best Original Song, as well as being selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry, this is the contender to beat. But we'd be fools to discount its opponent, The Lion King 2019, a technological breakthrough that uses the latest in computer graphics to bring the flora and fauna of Africa to life, and boasts one of the most impressive casts this side of a severely fractured leg bone. So, let's see which king of the jungle can become king of the ring in the epic showdown that is Remake Rumble. It, it really is difficult to understate just how good the animation is in the mm. 1994 version. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure we'll cover in the new one, it's just beautiful. Uh, I don't know if you, who did the animation for this one. Do you know? Was it in-house? Come on. Daniel, <laughs> this is prime Disney. This is prime rib. I mean, I think this is before a lot of what you're talking about. I don't think they had mm. the um, the infrastructure to do that at that point. I mean, another studio did open at Disney World a couple of years prior, um, an animation studio that Disney right. had kind of bolted onto the MGM uh-huh. Studios theme park that they had uh-huh. down there. Um, so potentially some of it was done down there. I think that would make... And that was prior to Pixar, of course. Yes, they were I, well. They I think they existed at this point. They were working on Toy Story at the time that came out in '95. I think so. That's the next year after this. Um, so Pixar were working on Toy Story. Disney were working on uh, Lion King. And so what? They're they're working on Pocahontas at the same time, right? Yes, that's correct. And this is seen as being like the lesser thing as well. So everyone who's right. anyone has already like gone B-team. on. Yeah, exactly. It's the B team. Everyone who's anyone has already said, right, we're going to go and do. Uh, Pocahontas because everyone thought that was going to be the the big hitter because it was kind of the princess movie obviously Disney has a big yeah. long history um, of princess films and they're kind of like the prestigious the prestigious film in the Disney canon I mean obviously Snow White's the original uh, and what's the what's the last big film before Lion King slash Pocahontas this is on I think uh, Aladdin I think was just before this 
All right. Okay. I think it goes Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and then this. So it was kind of heavy hitter after heavy hitter, honestly. Um, so The Lion King was, everyone was excited yeah. for it. I remember the hype. Even at five years old, I remember the hype. What do you remember about the hype? Well, my the, the memory I have, actually, is one of the first videos, the VHS tapes that my parents bought me. So I have a very vivid memory of my parents bringing back. I think I might have actually seen it in the cinema, but I don't remember that. But I remember being extremely excited when my parents brought back the Lion King VHS. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember the hype. I mean, what about you, Dan? Do you, what was your were you was your brain processing things at this point, or? Uh, well, I mean, I wasn't really allowed near electronics at that point, um, but I was only about what four, five, like like Johnny was. So I don't really remember anything about it. Um, bear in mind that the last time I saw the Lion King was probably when I was four or five so re- re-watching okay. this was a complete like mm. <laughs> oh right this is what this actually was um, was it big was I, it a big thing to you when you were a kid I was never I was never a big Disney kid uh, no so th- this never really came about uh, obviously I did watch this I did I do remember enjoying it but this was never like a like a big film for me at the time um, so I was kind of curious as to what really brought this about in Disney's terms as well because this is pretty different from what they've done in the past like they never really kind of you know, done anything if, in the African style? Like they've not really done anything with well, they've done animal pictures before in the past. But well, cultural appropriation is definitely a thing that they yes. they like. <laughs> mm. they, they deeply enjoy it. But but this seems like a bit of a, a left field kind of idea, especially like the story itself. It's pretty simple. Like it's not like a revolutionary, super deep like subtext and exploration of the human condition thing. It's it's a simple three act structure hero like story, but. Mm-hmm. In terms of setting, in terms of what it's doing, in terms of the music as well, like the music's a real departure from what they've done in the past. And I know, obviously, Elton John got a lot of plaudits for the stuff he did, but all the way through, all I could think of was this is very different to like the orchestral scores that we've seen in a lot of the previous films, um, and really even in the new film as well. The new film seems to have gone away from that as well. But I was kind of curious, David. Like, do you know much about where this came from, or who came up with the ideas for this? And we should maybe add at this point that David is the massive <laughs> yes. Disney nerd. Yeah, yes. unfortunately. I don't know why I've never been able to shake Disney, but it's it's always been there. I mean, I even worked at Disney World for a little bit. Really? So, I, you know, I've got the I've got the CV, shall we say. <laughs> and so The Lion King is part of what they call the, the Renaissance period, yes. right? And I, I, I mean, personally, I don't know what you two think, but for me, it probably is the... Um, it's kind of you know it's it's the pinnacle of that that time period. So that period is what like late eighties to late nineties. Yeah, officially, I think people say it begins. So Little Mermaid, I think was eighty nine, and then mm-hmm. I'm not sure where you would call the cutoff point. Probably maybe even The Lion King is the cutoff point. Really, I think after this, it was kind of slowly downhill. I mean, obviously you have like Mulan and stuff like that, but I think generally speaking, this is kind of as good as it got. Right. And in your opinion, then, it, it is um, it is a pinnacle of Disney Renaissance. It holds up. What is it that you like about it? Oh, God, Johnny. I mean, you've opened you've opened the can of worms. I don't know. I, I like a lot about it, to be honest, um, which is why I'm probably going to be slightly hurt whenever we criticize it. But, um, I mean, I would agree it's kind of quite simple in its plot, and I was kind of struck by that when I returned to it. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's a lot. I like the kind of epic size of it. I think nothing really has come close mm-hmm. to that, and I think that's the thing that probably sticks with me the most in terms of like the music the way that's done um the way the animation is so lively and the kind of shakespearean elements to it um 
yeah, I think I th- I think it is my favorite of the of the '90s Disney. I've got to say, I was kind of shocked to come back to this as well because I don't have any real love for Disney. I'm not going to hide that. Like it's no, let it all it's out, fine. Dan. Let it's, it's it all completely out. fine. Basically, I hate everything that's animated. Uh, it's all a big film for children. I despise everything that's ever been created by by that foul anti-Semite. Um, but <laughs> when it comes to Lion King, rewatching this, I was actually really struck by how well produced it was as a movie how solid it was as just an emotional tale um, sometimes people can forget that about Disney films but it really I is never forget that. I've never emotion. forgotten that Dan I, know, I, I, want, I, I want that out there <laughs> with the exception of Disney perverts like David that some, sometimes it's easy to forget sometimes that Disney does have a real knack for telling a simple emotional story and that's something that looks simple on the surface but as we'll discuss isn't always that simple yeah um, yeah yeah and, and also just the lack of stunt casting in this compared to usual like right yeah i'm sure that jeremy irons was it was a known figure at this point you know you had Rowan atkins mm-hmm. and things but really a lot of these people weren't mega stars like we're not talking about people that were at the top of the pole it definitely feels like you know even though there is some some celebrity names in there that they've been cast first and foremost because they're they're right for the roles, right? Mm-hmm. That's driving the casting first mm-hmm. and foremost. I mean, James Earl Jones is is you know a good example of that. He's just perfect, um, unbelievable. I think in this. I mean, frankly, if you if you're a king that doesn't sound like James Earl Jones, you, sh- you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> you have no right. You should to abdicate rule. immediately. That's right. I mean, that's how the Russian Revolution happened. That's true. That, that's completely correct. The Bolsheviks were like, he's not got enough base. Where's the reverb? <laughs> Get him out. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's really shocking just to see actual actors acting. Exactly, uh, exactly. And to see the acting rendered with such power by the animators as well. I mean, mm. it's an obvious point, I guess. But I think it can be so easy to forget sometimes that what you're seeing on screen isn't real. Um, it's a series of pictures that have all been, you know, individually drawn so it's a very it's a very lavish film I would say I also this is something I, I think you've already touched on but it feels like just such a tight film mm. not a not a shot wasted um, it's very economical with everything right and only about um, 90 minutes and I, long as well exactly and I think that's going to to really contrast with, um, with the 2019 version which is what half an hour longer yeah it just goes on and on <laughs> sorry maybe I shouldn't reveal my exasperation (laughs) i think we've all got the same hand here so but yeah we'll we'll get on to it i agree though i mean there's loads of little sequences which i picked up which i guess we can talk about but i agree i mean it it's a very as we were saying it's a very simple story told economically and Mm -hmm. i think generally speaking that's kind of how all the disney films were done i mean i feel like they really did say well you know we're going to draw this so we can't be wasting time on scenes that don't move the story forward or just unnecessary kind of indulgences but even beyond that if you look at the way that the visual storytelling works across the two stories um there was a scene where um simba's being like talked to by zazu you know it's that that scene where he's saying oh well don't go over there it's you know that's that's not okay but basically like in the background you see simba basically like making fun of him like kind of mouthing off and like you know doing things in the background while that's happening in the foreground Mm -hmm. again it sounds stupid and basic but that doesn't happen in the, in the 2019 film. And you can really see, yes, it's economical, but it also shows that they've got a, a real knack for using the animation to tell stories in the frame. Like the framing itself is much 
better, like you can see in the panning shots as they're going through these these feasters, like these these backgrounds, like they pan out, they really make everything like they make them look much smaller compared to the rest of the world. Again, very basic stuff that seems to be beyond a lot of the 2019 film, but again, we'll get onto it. Uh, so yeah, it is economical in the sense that it's cut down the scenes, but also it uses every single second to say something about the characters. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd agree which, with that. Which I thought was fantastic. And something that you were saying to me before, David, was that the character of Simba... I keep, I keep wanting to call him Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, uh, in the original, has a lot more character, or a lot more characters communicated, and that might be a function of the animation. Mm. But he his his, I don't know, his arrogance but insecurity mm. comes across a lot more than in the 2019 version, mm. where he just seems like a much flatter character. So, here's a kind of... I kind of don't know, I don't know how to really structure this, um, because I, I find it very difficult to talk about why this works, and why the 2019 film doesn't. I, I'm so tempted to just kind of like put everything out there. Um, but I think it also comes down to the ability to voice act, um, because as some films tend to have actors in voice actor roles, which means that they read out lines in the way that they might act, but the expression and the direction is lacking. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of come through in Simba. I don't know if it was an actual child or if it, like, sometimes they put in women as, as children. But but what, whoever was acting in that role of Simba, I agree, really captured like the idea of, well, this feels like a real child. Like He feels petulant. He feels arrogant. Like He wants to prove himself like there's something there. And it isn't just like Irritating and precocious, and yeah, young yeah. Simba. What young Simba was a boy for the record. Right? Ah, okay. okay. Taylor Thomas, uh-huh. I think that's his name. And I think um, I think the animators drew on his the way he was in the recording booth, in the mm. way they animated the character. And I think that's quite a common thing in general. I think the way that Jeremy Irons was kind of acting influenced the way that they 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 animated Scar and. But yeah, so I, I think the way that the voice acting is done, I think, has a huge influence on the way that the the film ultimately comes together. There's a nice scene somewhere, uh, a nice clip online somewhere of Jeremy Irons talking about his his preconceptions of what it was going to be like, uh, and he talks about how he thought it was just going to be a case of you know they they have the film there and then you're brought in and you you, you dub over it, but you know it's something like that that the you know you're working with the animators and you, you're you're acting is reflected in the animation mm-hmm. right it's a kind of reciprocal process um so it's, it's, it's a very kind of yeah um back and forward creative endeavor where you're working with the animators and i'd be interesting to interested to know if that's different from how it worked in the case of the um the remake mm-hmm. you know to what extent were were the was the animation um a reflection of the actor's performances or was it a much more kind of post talk thing where the voice actors came in lastly and just yeah kind of recorded over um, the animation I don't know because it, you know it could be the case of the if we do think there's there's an issue with the voice acting in the 2019 version it might not be entirely down to the actors themselves right it could be an issue of, of direction I completely um, agree I think it's directing I, I think it's a, a failure to, to have a vision but again we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> with the remake they've done some kind of behind the scenes clips that are effectively trailers I, I, I'm not sure if people are kind of speaking their true minds as they're, as they're doing it but it talks about how one of the tools they used was the 
it was almost like acting in a, on a real set because they had a virtual set that was done in virtual reality and I think the actors were actually brought in um, to actually interact with each other on set as if it were real um, and apparently that led its lent itself quite nicely to improvisation and things like that um, which is interesting because I would have assumed that that kind of process of doing things would have made the acting more vibrant but I would say my kind of overall takeaway from the film was it was not vibrant at all like that was that the word vibrant was was nowhere near my brain at any point during the film mm-hmm. okay maybe some of the maybe some of the visuals i guess but um yeah you mentioned improvisation there as well was there a single line in the 2019 version that wasn't just cribbed off the 1994 yes version? and they were all awful exactly that that's so when you're saying oh it, it was meant to be like some kind of great environment to you know jazz off each other you know we fire on all cylinders i got nothing Absolutely, yeah, nothing. Um, oh, there's a Christ. there's there's one that really stands out for me, and I'm sorry, mm. I'm now just getting into 2019. No, 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 let's, let's, let's keep it going. There's one that really stood out to me, and it was dialogue between Timon and Pumbaa, oh, God. and they're talking about the they're they're I think, I'm trying to remember exactly where it appears, but they're talking to Simba, mm. and they're going on about how you know life's meaningless and how you know, there's no point living for, for, for anything other than yourself. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes off in this, like, you know, time is a flat circle. It goes off in this weird tangent, mm. which felt completely unnecessary. And it's this, like, weird kind of nihilistic undertones <laughs> that really don't need to be there. I mean, like, the, the you know, the philosophy of Akuna Matata, as it's expressed in the, in the 1994 version, is, yeah. is perfectly sufficient. Um, <laughs> we, we don't need this, this other... And that seems like the kind of thing that might have been improvised to me. And we should say, of course, this is Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner, who are very talented comedians. I like them outside of this film. I, I don't mind Seth Rogen. Billy Eichner just tends to descend into, like, bottom of the barrel grinder jokes at some point for me I, I don't know I, I don't have much time for, for Billy Eichner but, but that, that's fine so that's interesting I mean a lot of the reviews have said that Billy Eichner is the like the standout of the film yeah he definitely stands out he's like a bloody wart and I, I couldn't pick I couldn't figure out why until I saw what, what was his name is it Nathan Lane doing Timon yes when you compare and contrast those two it is like night and day the ability of comedic timing of delivering a comedic line of writing a comedic line it's just it's it's seconds and on like if what you basically do, what you've got in Nathan Lane is a, a typical nineties comedian you know it's like was that something I said like they look at the camera they raise their shoulders they make a funny quip and it, it's it's fine it is what it is I, I got a couple of chuckles out of it it's it's fine it's it's pretty base but I think with with someone like Billy Eichner and with Seth Rogen it's kind of like this weird ironic detached kind of modern humor which is fine but not if you're in a film about a talking lion. I don't think that works. So, so like Tony was saying, like you've got this kind of weird nihilism, but I think it's just ironic detachment. I think they've just kind of gone, mm. well, well, they're not comfortable with this 90s-style, irreverent, mm-hmm. like sarcastic, you know, get-into-it, like cheesy humour. They thought they were above it. But another thing that kind of, I'm going to say, irritates me about the film, but irritates me in general about modern editing, is the way that they don't allow dialogue to breathe. Every line is met by another line instantly. Like, they, they can't, it has to look like it's improvised almost in the way that you have every line delivered without a breath in between them. And that doesn't let any of the punchlines settle. It doesn't allow you to kind of enjoy it. It's just, it's relentless. And I don't like any of it. It's like this torrent of shit. Just get out of the way. Um, Mm. It's also connected to the hyenas as well. I think they're another great example of the way that they've 
misunderstood what those characters are. And again, directing and acting. If you, I, I don't know who any of the actors are except for Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg, of course. I think she did a great job. But the the one character that stood out was was I think Ed. Is that the hyena that keeps laughing? Mm. Um, it sounds daft, but just not having a dialogue and just cackling the whole time. Again, it's a great character choice. You're a hyena in a in a film about a talking lion. Just just laugh. Just make stupid noises. Great, that works. He is the laughing hyena. Yeah, great. And you get like, this Three Stooges dynamic going on, and the characters seem like they've known each other for ages. They've got like this this repartee, and it all works. And then you get the other hyenas. And it's just nothing. Yeah, I don't understand what was going on there, and that was another element, oh. actually, where I was not sure whether it was improvised, where the only dialogue that the two high because really it's two comedic hyenas this time, as opposed to three. I mean, you right. have the third one, but she's like a... not really sure what they were doing with her. She's kind of like the, the mm. lead hyena, but she's not really yeah. very funny. She's just kind of... Um, mm. In a way, I thought she was quite odd, because she seemed to dilute what Scar's role was. She almost seemed to be the one who all the hyenas were looking up to and Scar had to mm, usurp mm. her before he could do anything. But um, mm. yeah, for the two hyenas, they had these jokes pretty much the entire way through the film, which weren't funny the first time, um, where they were talking about personal space. And it just kept going and going. Every time they were on screen, there would be a joke about the other hyena being in the other hy- uh, the other hyena's personal space and I didn't get it yeah again it's it's sort of like seriously oh works for me like it's so it's, like it's sarcastic but it's like attacking the premise of the movie and it's like well you, you can't you can't do it. but also these are two again really good comedians I think it's um, yeah it's it's Key I don't remember his first name but it's Key from Key and Peele and Eric Andre who I really like I love Eric Andre <laughs> but they were completely miscast like Eric Andre, uh, I, don't, I don't know much about Key's stuff, but it's really absurd. It's like it's really ludicrous. But he can't do anything in it because he's trapped in this CGI hyena, <laughs> and, which means that he's stuck with this like sub Paul Feig written stuff, and it's it's baffling. Yeah, I I completely agree. I don't know what they were doing. It's not as if hyenas are known for their issues with personal space. Like why right. that joke? Right. But but it's it's the same kind of modern joke. It, it feels like if you were, if you stuck that line in some like Sherlock gnomes it'd be exactly the same like, yeah exactly it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not special but that's what's so rubbish about it it's like you've got two really mm-hmm. good talented comedians use them come on well it's a surprise considering really I mean I was incredibly sceptical of the film from the moment it was announced but you know mm-hmm. it was hard to be sceptical about the cast it, it seems to me like there's, as I said before there's this massive amount of talent but in the case of the 2019 version they're mostly there for the name recognition and I mean, maybe you know more about this, David, but I wonder if that is a, a difference in how these films are branded. And I also wonder if it makes a difference that this, I mean, who is this film being marketed towards? Because I get the impression that it's not being marketed towards kids. It's being marketed towards adults who grew up with The Lion King. And perhaps to appeal to those adults, that name recognition matters more. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, the, when I went to see the showing, um, so it, it, it was it was a particular time of day. It was kind of midday, weekday. So kids were technically, I guess, in school. But this was just as the summer holidays were happening. Um, so I think kids were around, I guess, um, but certainly not in our screen. I mean, our screen was just adults, all of us, mm. grown ups, there to embarrassingly relive memories from <laughs> twenty five years ago. And to be honest, that was the thing that really stuck in my head when 
Mufasa was dying, there was a kind of sadism to this whole enterprise. I mean, really, we were all there to see would we be moved by Mufasa's death as much as we were mm. all that time ago. And I'd like to say, so you, the, the, the photorealism, right, mm. combined with the singing mm. is just, quite frankly, odd. It looked really weird to me. Mm. But this the scene where Mufasa is is falling back into the stampeding buffalo and he shouts, no, or whatever it is, <laughs> uh, that to me was the, the most bizarre. I burst out laughing. I literally Same. burst I out li- laughing. I literally lolled. I, I, I don't know. I, I can Something about the way he was falling, like, it looked like... Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> like, like a glitch or something I didn't know what was happening I don't know and then like like he started screaming but it looked like someone was playing a tape behind Simba like going no but it didn't like like nothing about his face changed except his mouth opened well it didn't help it as well that re- Scar slapped him across weird. the face right right it doesn't it's, happen in the original so strange I d- so many decisions made no sense but again like well I think that's a case of where the photorealism definitely impedes it and I think it's because they were saying well in the original he's actually holding on to um, Mufasa's hands and then he Mm. picks up the hands and then throws them but obviously a lion couldn't do that in real life so the only way this scene makes sense now is if (laughs) he punches him in the face but of course (sighs) that then deflates all the the drama that (sighs) was painstakingly long, long live the king you've got to have a bit where Joe Ryan says long live the king it's a whole bit exactly oh, and he just... yells it as well <sighs> I mean Scar's performance I would say across the board again I mean this is really true for all the actors in this film unfortunately but mm-hmm. the way they did Scar was really quite baffling I mean he seemingly had no emotion at all and when they do mm-hmm. Be Prepared which is like the showstopper in the original right here it's just he's just leaping from rock to rock as hyenas <laughs> watch him in silence in stone cold Comparing silence it's with like, very bizarre like the, the, the gouts of green flames the like roars of hyenas all this kind of stuff the Busby Berkeley style like ludicrous yeah excess like the whole time I was screaming you're making a film about a fucking talking lion where's the melodrama come on exactly give mm. me something where's the Nazi imagery I, I because again I haven't seen the 1984 film since I was like four or five so I, I watched the new one before the old one and I didn't I didn't hate the old one when I, when I came out of it I just thought that, that was a bit naff when I saw what the 1984 one was I just thought this is what was missing this is what you cut out over all the decisions you cut out all the best bits it is an interesting speechless. one I mean what do you think the thought process was behind getting rid of the goose stepping because I mean I guess again, it's, it's, it's photorealism. It's, it's dangerous well, because it's, it's something. It's it's tacky. It's it's not real. Again, it's not realistic. So of course we would take it out. It's fun. It's too much fun. They've got to remove it. They've got to have more space for fucking. Go on, go on. <laughs> I think I think I think they just they just couldn't do it because because lions like to... don't reach that high. Exactly. So <laughs> so John Favreau says that you know it's they're they're approaching it like it's a documentary. Why? So, even the scenes at the beginning where the animals are bowing in front of <sighs> in front of Pride Rock, the, and it, it's really interesting that they, mm, they, mm. they paid a lots of attention to the, the the biomechanics of the animals, so that mm. they're all moving in in very realistic ways, all ways that animals really could move, right? And presumably hyenas can't goose step. You don't know that, so <laughs> you know. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I kind of think that it's it's an interesting, almost like technical project. Right, mm-hmm. like what happens if we try to recreate this film, yeah. you know, using super photorealistic 
animal animation. Mm-hmm. Film it like it's a documentary. It's kind of an interesting technical project, but that doesn't serve the story of The Lion King. Uh, um, and, yeah. it, and it, it just... It's so hard to tell that story. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's like a tech demo that's got out of hand, basically. Yeah, because like, if, if someone's going to do a documentary style, why did you pick a film about a fake lion monarchy with, like, moustache-twirling villains, like, Nazi hyenas? Why? It, it's just baffling. I didn't... I don't want to see a 90-minute white paper on CGI graphics. That's not mm. what I want to see. I want to see, a, you know, expressive film. I want to see something that you personally produced I want to, I want you to bring something and 2019 Lion King brought nothing, everything that I enjoyed about the Lion King 2019 was in the 1994 film and I didn't realise that until I saw it afterwards it was unbelievable <laughs> absolutely shocking John Favreau's also said that he, what he wanted to do was have the viewers rediscover the Lion King, which right. I also think speaks to who the film is being marketed mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. So they want viewers to rediscover The Lion King, but then also at the same time discover something new. But what is it? What is it doing that is new? It just seems that all it's doing is subtracting from, if, from the original. Yeah. Um, apart from the initial novelty, perhaps of the the technical achievement of the photorealism. I mean, was there anything that you thought was done better in the remake? Uh, hmm. That's a, that's a good question. I've I've been generous and I've said I actually don't mind. I, d- I didn't mind Beyonce and Donald Glover as, as the lead actors. I thought they, they were fine. I didn't think they were transcendental. I, d- I thought they were fine. And, and then Scar, Scar was okay, but again, it's like miscast. They, they wanted a mustache-wally villain. They got like a, an anti-hero. And I, I don't know. It, it wasn't... Well, I thought what was interesting with Scar was the, the lack of expression um, actually served mm. his character quite well, I thought. Um, because it actually seemed like that was part of the way they were animating him, even though that wasn't the case at all, because obviously every other animal on screen is emoting <laughs> as little as he is. And actually another scene with Scar that I thought was good was when they were in the gorge prior to Mufasa's tragic death. Um, mm-hmm. His plan to keep Simba in the gorge, I actually don't really think makes a huge amount of sense. On one hand, he says something like, your dad has a surprise for you to so stay here. Mm-hmm. He'll be here in a minute and he'll show you. But also, if you want, you can practice your roar. And I always thought the idea with that was that Simba was to be tricked into thinking that his roar is what causes the stampede. So then he thinks he's killed his father. But that seems a bit odd that that's like the a throwaway thing that Scar says. Whereas in the new one, Scar's basically saying, this is where all lions, including your dad, have come to find their, their roar. Um, so it, it foregrounds that, which I thought actually worked. It's the one moment where I genuinely thought that is actually a better use of use of the time and, and was a little bit more elegant, I thought. That that didn't jump out to me, but now that you say it, I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That, it's, it's a structural change. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, unnecessary, um, because frankly, it works yeah. fine in the original. But yeah, I, if, if we really had to pick, I would say, yeah, that makes sense. We're grasping at straws for good things. I mean, it's, it's so difficult to, to put into words just how disappointing it is seeing... Well, just thinking about the 2019 film after seeing the 1994 film, like Zazu just comparing John Oliver to, to Ron Atkinson, like it seems subtle and simple, but you look at the way John Oliver portrays himself as like this daft, you know, moronic, like side character, like comic relief, but compared to like Ron Atkinson's like genuine, like he, he feels like a vassal, like he feels like a part of the family in that sense, mm-hmm. and that kind of comedy works better because he feels you get like a relationship a connection with his character also he doesn't look like a weird half-skinned puffin 
Everything just feels very neutered and flat. Completely, completely. Except for the singing, which is irritatingly wavy and wiggly, but that's another yeah. that's another petty finicky thing. Well, Seth Rogen can't sing at all. I thought when he, you could tell that they were trying to uh, almost mask his singing because there's a point where he's uh. trying to hold a note and I think Timon is like talking over him or something. <laughs> uh-huh. Almost to drown it out. <laughs> mm. I, I don't remember that bit. I mean, you know, Ron Atkinson can't sing. Like, that's that's fine. Like, you know, do a bit of good talk singing. That's, that's mm. not... Well, exactly. Talk singing and sustaining a note. Yeah. I mean, they're two different things. Yeah. If you put someone in the pumper position, you need to have someone that can do that big operatic yes, exactly. moment at the end of it. I get that. Like that, that's totally understandable. Also, the, the other bit that that really irritated me. Uh, so I've I've written down basically half of what Timon and Pumper said because you know it, it's a it's a masterclass on how to do daft '90s comedy. But at some point, he makes a joke. Like he makes a reference to in the heat in the heat of the night. I don't know if you heard this. Yes. But he says, "My name is Mr. Pig." They <laughs> took that out. This is my favourite bit. They took it out. Why did they take it out? I don't know. Ugh. I loved that line as a kid. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand the context, but I remember uh, repeating that all the time. They took it out. Why did they take it out? I'm so incensed by it. Ah, oh, the bit with the hyenas, like the no king, no king, like the just yeah, all the little incidental little like bits that. are stripped out completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give me, give me something to grab onto. Just give me that like flair and sure. I can't emphasize enough how good Jeremy Irons is. It brightened my entire my face lit up every time he like the scar appears on screen. I, I don't know if you guys was enamored with him as I was, but I'm always enamored by Jeremy Irons. Well, did you know he actually only sings about half of "Be Prepared," and the second half is actually, um, I believe, it's Jim Cummings, who's the guy who voices Ed, the kind of you know the comedy relief. Really? Yeah. Because wow, he's quite, okay. a, quite a big Disney voice actor. He does like Winnie the Pooh, things like that. I uh, take it back. He's rubbish. <laughs> sack him immediately. Would you sack Beyonce though? I mean, she has a new song in the remake. What did you think of that? It wasn't bad. It was okay. It's poppy enough. I, I could get away with it. I was. I couldn't sing it back to you if you asked me to now. I though. would not no. ask you to. I mean, it went on for far too long in the remake. <laughs> <laughs> And honestly, I thought there were so many scenes where that was the case. I mean, if you compare it to the original, for example, um, after Circle of Life, it cuts to black, and then this little mouse scurries out of the darkness, and and that's it. And then it moves on to Scar, kind of, you know, picks him up or whatever. Um, and then in the remake, there's a, the, the same scene goes on for about... I mean, it felt like five minutes. It probably wasn't five minutes, but it was that same mouse... But now he was like just traversing Africa, like the entire continent of Africa. I don't know what was going on. He was climbing up different things and all this kind of stuff. And it, it felt like they were just showing off or something. Like, look how impressive this technology is. And again, same when in the original, Simba kind of throws himself down and there's a big puff of dust, which infamously everyone thought said sex. Um, and wait, was, wait! I don't know if you know on, about this. Wait, Whoa. no, I didn't see this. Okay, so wait, what was this? Th- well, this is back in '94. I think it's after they've been talking about um, the sky, and they're saying, you know, this is where the kings of the past look down on you. Uh, and Timon and Pumbaa find that hilarious, and then he kind of wanders off, a bit upset, throws himself down on a cliff, and I think it's that scene anyway. But anyways, he throws himself down on a cliff, and. I guess it's dust or maybe it's like dirt I'm not entirely sure but it kind of like rises into the air and that dirt then travels to 
um, travels to Rafiki, and that's how Rafiki realizes that Simba is still alive, that he didn't actually die when you know everyone is convinced that Simba had died. Um, but in the original film, they that dust spells out the words very subtly spells out the word sorry the letters sfx um because it was like the special effects department who had animated that particular bit but for a long long time a debate raged and i guess it still rages to this day because they actually removed it from the blu-ray i think um Uh whether it said sex and it was one of those things that any youtube video that is looking to discredit disney and say that it's this satanic company run by pedophiles that's trying to brainwash children that is the moment that is always brought up without fail um usually that and the fact that the little mermaid vhs cover the castle in the background apparently is quite phallic i mean i I don't really see it but that's that's also used where do you where do you come down on the the lion king debate do you think it is a satanic message to brainwash children i mean who can say who can say (laughs) I like to think not. I mean, given that you're such a Disney expert, I'd hope you could say. Yeah, well, okay. I, I personally, I would say no. <laughs> personally, no. As a Satanist, yes. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I wonder if the reason they got rid of it, because there was actually, I mean, this is really interesting. I don't know if you know about this. Do you know about the little, I guess it's an Easter egg, um, in The Rescuers? Does that I, ring I, a bell I at think all? I, know what, I don't know what the rescuers is. What's the rescuers? It's these two mice who okay. rescue. I think they rescue children. <laughs> okay, right, okay, fair enough. I mean, this is a Disney film. This isn't a real. This isn't a real thing. Uh, I, I, okay, I, I guess I didn't think for a second that there were actual like tiny EMTs. Like that's. <laughs> I just that's want to fine. confirm. You know, I haven't hired okay, these no, guys no, yeah, yeah. or anything. Yeah. You know, it's not in my yellow pages. <laughs> Right, so these mice that go and rescue things. I don't know exactly what the plot is. I can't remember. I've not seen it in a while. But there's a scene where they have to fly on top of a seagull. And as they're flying on top of the seagull, it kind of swoops down past lots of buildings. And for a split second, there is a photograph. And this is real. This is literally real. Um, There's a photograph of a topless woman for a frame (laughs) that appears in a window as they're swooping by. And again, um, that's another one that gets brought up quite a lot because I think they had to retract the film and edit that part out. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I, I believe maybe there's uh, even VHS copies that maybe have that on it, like the the early run or something. What? Mm. What a filth! I know, I know. This is this is all real. What rotten feculence! How dare they? I mean, I can't even remember what the initial point I was making was. <laughs> I've gone off on such a tangent. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. Right, so the dust scene in the original is, right, is right, super right, right. quick, right? There's no, I mean, there's a bit of, there's a, there's a subliminal message, but apart from that, you know, it goes by without, um, without notice. In the, in the new one, it's like a bit of dust that's floating through, um, floating through the, the air and it gets caught on like a dung beetle and there's this, a shot where a dung beetle for like 30 seconds is rolling some feces with it in. Oh, is that the bit? The, yeah, the bit of hair. That the gets, bit of like, hair, yeah. Chew, yeah, yeah. It just goes on and on and on. As I say, I right. would say it was about two minutes long, and it's like, why is this mm-hmm. too? What is going on? Why is this necessary? I mean, who uh, thought now, an to, improvement was adding, literally adding dung? To be fair, that was probably one of my favourite bits of the film because it was the longest period of time when no one said anything. 
Like that was just oh, <laughs> here we go. Just look at the pretty computer generated graphics. Brilliant. T- take me on a journey. Just don't say anything. That works really well for me. And then obviously you get back to Scar and it all kicks up. By the way, I know you talk about the mouse. That was one of my other favourite bits of the film where he like starts playing with a mouse on his fingers and he like rolls it around like a coin. Mm. Just a daft little thing. I really enjoyed it. The fight scene at the end drags on as well. Uh, it's not very good in 1994 either, though. I, 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 mm. It's efficient. Yeah. It ends the film. For that also, in the, also, in the 2019 version, all the lines look the same. I found it when... when yes! Yeah, when, please, Scar, when Scar and, and Simon are, are, are punching each other, I couldn't tell who was who. I have written down in my notes, I can't tell who anyone is. No. And, and also, just underneath that, the Lion Man sounds like Bruno Mars, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, nothing about the lions stood out to me. I'm really glad that you said that. There's no reason why they couldn't have had them realistic, but also vary the character design a little bit. I mean, there were some interesting tweets that were floating around where people had done similar experiments where they'd just, I think they'd just used like images from the internet of different lions, and they, mm. those images seemingly had more character to them than the designs here. <laughs> the scene where Simba's looking in the water and his face transforms into Mufasa just looks mm. like the same lion. <laughs> It's magical, it's mystical, you just don't understand. Yeah, and that was an interesting scene as well, because when it cut to the clouds, because I watched this film for my sins twice, even on the second time, I really couldn't work out where Mufasa was in that cloud (laughs) formation. And I don't know if he was meant to be there, but it was quite subtle, or if it genuinely was just a shot of the sky, like a cloudy night. I bet if you freeze-framed on the thunderclaps, that's probably where his face is. Right, okay. that, That was what I thought. Obviously, I'm I'm not a, an absolute masochist like you. I'm not going to go see it again, so I'm not going to confirm that. But that would be why I would, if I was an SFX artist, I'd put that in the thunderclaps. So on my third again, viewing, like, that's that's yeah. what I'm going to keep an eye out for. Yes, if if you want to go and see that again, that's absolutely fine. Um, I will have to inform the police. That's uh, fair, and make sure you're not allowed anywhere near me at any point. <laughs> God. Hmm, so any final thoughts on Lion King 2019? Uh, the, the Lion Man looks like Bruno Mars and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't like it. Do you know it. what? It wasn't a bad film. It wasn't awful. I think it was. I, I would argue I think, it was. I think it, was, I mean, it was a bad film. It was a bad film. I think film. it was a dull film. I think it was a, a boring film. I think there's an argument to say that, you know, it was working with a pretty incredible foundation, so maybe it's not bad. But I would argue that had I... I mean, it's hard to know, but had I seen this film independently, I'm not sure I would have been compelled by it at all. But that, that's what I did. I watched the new one first and the old one afterwards. If you asked me the day after I saw it in, in the cinemas, I would have said, eh, probably about like a like a five out of ten or something. Like, it's it's fine. Like, I, I went in, lost two hours of my life and came back out again, so mission accomplished. After I watched the 1994 version, I started finding myself... It's like stopping the enjoyment of the film I was watching to get angrier at the film I'd just seen to kind of go, how dare you? How could you? Like, you made me sit through that and this is your source material? How dare you? Um, yeah, I, I, it's a bad film. It's, it brings nothing of any personality to anything. Well, it's now made over a billion dollars, so jokes on you. It's, you know what? That's, that's fine. Which that's I great. believe is more than the original made. Yeah. So it is a better film after all. You know what? Yeah, I guess so. So how much longer? 
how much longer do we have this? When's the bubble going to burst? Or is it just remakes from here? Well, hopefully, for as long as we can keep this podcast going. Well, (laughs) oh, oh, we've got remakes. I'm going to say I have to take at least one episode, like sabbatical, between Disney episodes. I cannot, I, I repeat, I cannot do this again. I can't suffer through another film like The Lion King again. We have to see another film that doesn't involve talking animals. They, they, they don't all feature talking animals. There's some, you know. Name one. Name one. Um, Freaky Fridays. Wait, what are we talking about here? Remake? Or an oh, original saying, Disney? Name, 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 name a Disney film that doesn't feature uh, talking animals. Oh, God. Um, that is. Oh, uh. See, uh, Snow White C- cannot be done. Snow White, no. maybe? No, it's got it's got all the birds in it, hasn't it? Don't they talk? I don't do think they, they do. Something? I don't think they talk. Okay. Well, maybe they do. Oh, you know what? That's that is an interesting question. <laughs> if we had some kind of email address, that's the kind of thing I would say, listeners, tell us which films. That's yes, please don't do. Have talking animals, um, send them, just send them direct to David because I'm going to be screening every single one of them. I can't. I, I, I feel pretty that. confident that Snow White would be the one. I mean, dwarves what technically is a dwarf in the context of myth are they I, I, are they... <laughs> this has got this has got philosophical in ways that I'm not quite ready for it's a tough See, question what it's di- a tough question and maybe that's one this, for the emails as well this is what Disney does if you if someone wants to email in and say Daniel you're completely correct Disney has done nothing of any good this is the the marker of a satanic cult get out while you can please do that send that to me if you want to send pervert emails for for, for freaks to David <laughs> do that send them away I'm happy for you, for you to accept those I, I will not be watching another animal film within we just can't we just can't I can't okay it's fair it's, it's fair. not gonna happen <laughs> if I, I oh. so I feel like whilst we're on the subject of a Disney film I have to mention this Facebook post that's gone viral I don't know if you guys have heard about this. Um, this is the one where um, an anonymous mother, uh, let's say, is rather disapproving of uh, people without children visiting Disney World. And um, maybe I could just read a bit of the, the post out for the benefit of. I, I would like that. Read. With an accent, please maybe. do. Okay. I haven't heard this. Please play the. Yeah. Right, I'm now. not going to be able to do the emphasis justice okay? okay so i'm just going to read it out like a like a normal human uh-huh. um so here we go it says <clears throat> it pisses me off to no end when i see childless couples without at disney world disney world is a family amusement park yet these immature millennials throw away their money on useless crap <laughs> they have no idea the joy and happiness it is to mothers who buy their babies treats and toys they will never experience the exhaustion that it is to chase a three-year-old around and getting stares at assuming I'm a bad mother. Now, there's a lot of foul language, okay? I'm just <laughs> on a little bit. It's all right. Uh, it's, it's, it's after. It's after eight. Sorry. That's or maybe it's not where you're listening. Right. To be fair, I, I, I don't know. All right, we'll do the whole thing. Uh-huh. This cunt is some very slutty shark who's buying a Mickey pretzel and Aiden wanted one but the line was very long so I said later and it broke his poor little heart and he cried I wanted to take that fucking pretzel from that tramp. <laughs> like thanks bitch you made my son cry. There's a, a lot of unimpressed faces. Disney World is for children people without children need to be banned others with children should be allowed to skip all the line. 
you have no fucking idea what it's like to stand in line for three hours with a cranky, tired, exhausted toddler. And I can't just tell him that we can't do something because it's his vacation too. I fucking hate childless women with a burning passion. And so, David, you're a childless millennial. (laughs) What do you have to say for yourself? Well, look, I just wanted a pretzel. I just wanted a pretzel. I was wearing my favorite shorts. I was enjoying myself. I don't think I deserve this. I mean, what I will say is, I I highly doubt she was queuing for three hours for a pretzel. I've seen those. I've seen the pretzel carts. I mean, maybe ten minutes. Come on. Mm. And to be fair, if if that one had run out of a pretzel, she could have gone to another one. I mean, Disney World technically is bigger than Manhattan, so there's a lot of pretzels knocking around. How how does a Mickey pretzel differ from an ordinary pretzel? Uh, It's it's made from real mice. Fascinating. No, basically, it's shaped like Mickey Mouse's head, as most things at Disney are are want to be. Mm. So Which if is, you fancy, um, it, it tastes the same. Uh, it just looks. It's just three circles. Which is the same shape of head that Satan has. Coincidence? Uh, <laughs> that's right. If you, if you actually map it out, you can see all the sixes in the ears. Like, it's <laughs> like if you do those those hand signals. I can't talk about Disney anymore. I'm sorry. I'm actually. G- Devolving into some kind of goo, um, so I think we might have to leave it there. Can I can I round off by um, asking, testing particularly David's knowledge of the Lion King? Oh right, with, with a quick true or false? Definitely quiz. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for up, that. Are you up for this, David? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I've been doing my research. I've been looking up some some facts about okay. uh, the 1994 Lion King. So these are going to pertain only to the 1994 version. Okay. Um, and so I want you to tell me whether the following Daniel are can, true. You can help with this, right? Yeah, you can both. You can both. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I mean, trip in. don't pander to me. I'm not going to get a chance to answer this. Like, let's just <laughs> let's be honest about how this is going to go down. I'm curious to see. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. True or false? The famous Swahili phrase "Hakuna Matata" roughly translates as "Get rich or die trying." <laughs> What was the phrase again? <laughs> the phrase is Hakuna Matata. Get rich or die trying. True or false? Can I phone a friend? You, you can phone. Dan. You can phone Daniel. I'll phone Dan. I'll phone Dan. Dan, what's your what's your thinking on this? I'm not picking. I'm not picking up. I've got your one block. Yeah, they go the same as all those like PPI callers. It's got to, It's it's definitely true. It's definitely true. Of course it is. It's in the song. Mm, okay, well that one is actually false. Okay. Oh, rats. Damn. Not impressed so far. Okay, let's try uh-huh. another one. Uh-huh. So if I was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, I would be out now. You'd be the out. Yeah. Question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. no, embarrassing. All right, let's try another one. Jeremy Irons originally turned down the role of Scar because his great uncle was torn apart by hyenas on a family holiday to Kenya at the age of seven. True or false? Torn apart by hyenas. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. True or false? Family holiday to where? Kenya. Mm-hmm. That's got to be true. I'm sorry, that was a bit unfair. That was actually a trick question. Um, it's an urban legend, but uh, uh, no one really knows whether it's true or false. Right. I'll give you that one. That wasn't very fair. Okay, let's do another one. True or false? To prepare himself for the role, 
James Earl Jones spent months living with a pride of lions. Jones quickly took to life as a big cat, rising through the ranks and eventually slaughtering all rival males in ritual combat. In interviews to this day, Jones often states that this was the happiest time of his life. True or false? I think that's true because as I understand it, he did the same thing for Star Wars. Very good. What did he dress up as a big cat for Star Wars as well? Well, I, th- I I don't know why there were lions involved in Star Wars, but I think they just needed that kind of raw, violent energy. That's true. Mm-hmm. It may not have been lions. I think it may have just been... It may have been people. I, d- I don't know, but I did hear about that. I, I do remember hearing in TMC about when James L. Jones ate that person. I do remember hearing about that. <laughs> Jeffree Star had a real field day that day. <laughs> All right, let's do one last one. You're not doing very well so far, David. I'm not impressed. Um... The scene where Simba and Nala fall in love was originally supposed to have a musical accompaniment by the Beastie Boys, but the hip-hop group was replaced by Elton John when Shake Your Rump went down badly with test audiences. True (laughs) or false? I think that's false. I'm going to say that's false. It's definitely false. The song is actually No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Correct. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. Alright, I'll ask you you one. I've got a lot of these. Okay, I'm going to ask you one. (laughs) In the scene where Mufasa explains to Simba that the stars are old kings, you can actually make out the face of Prince Charles. True or false? I think that's false because he's, he's not a king, is he? Correct. Well wow. 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 Oh, there you go, see? You're on it. Wow. It was all in the name, Prince Charles. You're paying attention. Yeah, like well, there okay. you go. You rescued that one at the end. We'll look forward to more great quizzes like this in future episodes. <laughs> oh, God. So how did I do there? One out of five, was that? I think you got one out of five, yeah. I mean... Yeah. Well, hopefully you do better next time. I, yeah, well, I didn't know there was going to be a quiz. I mean, I, I didn't do any revision. Mm. Mm. Next time, it's fine. I, I can, you know, I can go all in. <sighs> all right. There was a lot of Lion King. That was a lot of Lion King. I, I would say that was too much Lion King. I can't abide it. No, it wasn't enough for me, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I'll i be going back for my third, fourth, fifth. Really, I want it played at my funeral. Deviance. It's a lot of you. No, I, I, I really, I I mean, I guess I've made my, my point already, but I really didn't like it. I mean, what <laughs> what would we say? Do we prefer the original here or do we prefer the remake? Right, that's the whole hook to this, isn't it? How many fists out of five would you give each film? Is this the fists that we're putting, like, like we're using to attack the film, or are these the fists that we're putting up in like solidarity? That's right, like a boxing glove in the shape of a, a thumbs up. Right, okay. A severed hand that's been boxed clean off. Uh-huh. Oh god! <laughs> Knuckles out of five. How many? Uh, I would give it Alec Baldwin's severed fingers from Miami Blues. Out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's a boxing reference uh, I, I don't have any, I don't know anything about boxing yeah. all I know is that they, they wear gloves and shorts and they put the thing in their teeth, in fact the most <laughs> I know about boxing I think I've got from that Simpsons episode where oh, Mo yeah, rescues yeah. him with a jetpack at the end I wish I wish Moses Slack was here with a big box fan to pull me away from this podcast um, <laughs> so what you're trying I... to say is the three guys here don't know anything about boxing that's right that's okay. therein lies the, fa- the fatal flaw in the premise of yeah. this podcast 
Well, we're not well, going to be reviewing any, any again, boxing remake. No, no, no. This is a fresh new look at boxing. This is a perspective that no one else can deliver because no one else knows as little about boxing as we do. That's true. You're welcome. Basically. Five out of five for the old ones and then negative boxing for the others. Juice? <laughs> advantage? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to echo that, to be honest. Yeah? Yeah? All right. Yeah, me too. Great. Okay, well, on that note, shall we call it a wrap? Let's call it. Let's let's call it a wrap. Let's clack that big clacker and let's let's put it on ice. That sounds like a, it could be boxing related. Ice is involved in some way, right? Conor McGregor used to um, put ice cubes into like the front of his gloves to give him like ice elemental powers, and that would uh, help him when he was fighting, like let's say, uh, fire spirits. And that was really useful. stop recording yet. Yeah, yeah, I'm the Lion King, I'm an animated classic!